Hey there, welcome back to Brown Game Strong. I am Mitali. I always start it like this, but I guess it's become a trend now. I hope that you're well um, and that you've had a great week and are looking forward to the weekend um, because at least in the UK, we literally all just count down to the weekend, don't we? Today I'm back with another guest who is arguably I'm maybe the most excited about this episode I have ever been because um, she's actually my really dear friend. Um, Her name is Nisha Alia. And I, I mean, I don't know where to begin um, when it comes to introducing her. I had to like do my research just before quickly so that I like have a mental list of all the things she's done. Nisha is an actor. She's a model. She's a dancer. She's a singer. She has worked on loads of really, really cool projects and um, a few films that you may have also seen her in. So recently she was in The Girl on the Train. She was Parinithi Chopra's best friend in the film. She's also played a role in Shukundala Devi. So she is both on Netflix and on Amazon Prime. So definitely check her out in those movies. She has also played a lead role in Bring on the Bollywood, um, which was a musical production that toured the UK. She's also a dancer, and that's how I know her, through just mutual kind of dance classes and just seeing each other regularly at those. I just love her energy. I mean, I know people talk about energy a lot nowadays, but genuinely, like, she is a very, very uplifting person to talk to. And so I love my conversations with her. And that's when I reached out to her and I was like, Nisha, do you want to be on the podcast? Because I feel like there is a lot that you have to say and to share with the world from your own learnings. Not only has she been in um, movies, she's also been in numerous music videos. Um, she's been in certain adverts that you may have seen in the UK, including Deliveroo, Hellman's. And I'm just... I'm so in awe of everything she does um, because to a degree I can relate to her life before she joined kind of this profession. Um, She used to work in tech and I think it's amazing to see that she's gone on to kind of make ends meet for herself um, but also gone to pursue her dreams and live the life of purpose that she's always wanted to live. A life that she's known from from when she went to university and discovered dance for the first time, which she describes in such a lovely way. So yeah, I mean, this conversation was so much fun and I know it's an hour and a half. So definitely get a cup of tea or listen to it in chunks if you want. Save it, save it for later if you want to come back to it. But I highly recommend listening through because there's so, so much that gets covered from kind of how Nisha came about um, discovering the world of dance and creative arts and obviously acting, singing, not having had a background in that from a super young age. And also just the experiences she's had working with, you know, huge Bollywood stars such as Bharaniti Chopra and Vidya Balan um, and Irfan Khan as well. And just what she's learned about herself along this journey um, because she's a very introspective person. Um, So yeah, I'm super, super excited as I always am, but I'm extra excited today to give this conversation to you. Um, And I hope you really enjoy this and I hope that you're taking care of yourself. I also just want to add one thing, which is, as in the previous episode, um, I just want to add a disclaimer that we actually recorded this during lockdown three. So earlier this year, um, I know man's been slacking a bit, but it's it's coming back a little. So 
just uh, bearing that in mind wherever there are references to things like lockdowns and things opening up, closing, etc. Um, yeah, that's it. Nisha, welcome to Brown Game Strong. I've wanted to have you on for a while and I'm so, so, so glad we're doing this. I know, finally. I'm so excited to be on here and um, I just wanted to say I'm loving everything that Brown Game Strong is putting out there. It's making me go, yes, like every time. <laughs> so thank you for doing this. Thank you for Aww. asking. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. And I think for anyone listening, so Nisha and I are, are actually friends. So yeah. I don't know how long we've known each other now. It's been like, what, four years, three years, something like that? But yeah, three years. Has it been three years? Wow, time has flown. Yeah, I think I think we met in like Lena's Friday classes or something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Studio 68. So is yeah. that, was that 20... 2018 2017 yeah it must have been 2018 or something or 2017 gosh like I I can't actually believe (laughs) that I always consider you like my big sis because I just feel like I don't know I kind of feel like I'm almost like I want to be you when I'm older like I'm gonna be you because you're like like because we dance very similar in the sense that we just like feel everything when we're performing yeah we have like our little ponytail wax and um I just think you're like a taller more glam version of me that I'm going to be when I'm older I am not glam girl you know I saw your Jay Sean uh, video last night on my story before I went to sleep and I was like damn girl he is glam (laughs) thank you that was like no dance and complete feels that's what that was um I think um yeah I I don't know what it is but I have a feeling that like Christmas I just and I was talking to you about this um when we spoke on the phone I just kind of had a bit of a revelation and I was just like you know what I really need to change the way I'm thinking about stuff and I know it's a privileged thing to say because of course like even having the space to like change your mindset about stuff is is privilege yeah but um But I was kind of just like, you know what? I'm kind of okay. And you know what? I'm going to dress up on a Friday because I know I don't, I'm not seeing anyone. I'm not like going out anywhere, but why not get the Friday feels anyway? Why not? <laughs> That's the thing. And I, I think that like when I ask older people, like say, you know, someone who's sort of 80, 90 or whatever, and I always ask them, you know, what would you have done differently? Or, you know, how's your life been and stuff? Any regrets? And they always say things like, I wish I had more fun. I wish that I spent more time with friends and family. I wish I stressed less and worked less, you know? And Mm. it's always about making the most of your Friday nights or the dinners or getting ready or feeling good about yourself. And that's always been the advice sort of across the board. So I think you're you're doing it right, girl. Thanks. Thank (laughs) you. And I think what I love about our chats is like they get so deep, which is why I was like, I need to have Nisha on this because we just need to share our chats with the world sometimes. And why is you that? Know. Do you think it's because we're very like emotion root, like rooted with emotion? I think I'm quite emotional. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So I think there's a word called like being an empath. That's um, it. I don't. That's the word. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like we're able to just kind of tap into each other's emotions and maybe like think of the world in like a deeper way compared to many people I don't know I feel like the more I speak to people the more I'm surprised that everyone is like very introspective especially right now 
when we when we think about other people we always think they are the other and I am me but when you mm. actually talk to people you're like oh my god we're actually very similar in yeah. a lot of you know the the mindset or insecurities or securities etc we're all yeah pretty much similar <laughs> in that sense yeah. I guess I want to just start off with how are you like how have you been throughout this pandemic yeah I mean like you said I think 3.0 lockdown has been much much harder to continually feel positive about anything and everything um and I think at the beginning of uh lockdown which was you know last year in March I remember having this really scary thought that oh do I even have a career anymore you know for those who don't know I am an actor by profession and I was just in complete shock when when the first announcement hit and I thought oh my god like I might not have a career anymore what do I do Obviously, that wasn't the case. And thank God things changed very quickly. Um, but that's that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling I'm feeling OK now because I think I've gotten used to how life has been for the last few months. Um, and I'm just trying to make the most of like what I can and take each day as, as it comes. Definitely this whole point of like being a creative, being self-employed and not having that job security anymore. I think a lot of people have been in that situation and um and I guess just navigating that uncertainty can be so scary and you've done a great job because you've made it this far and then you you are okay firstly can I just say on the outside it looks like you are killing it and I think this is a this is a common thing though I mean uh, like I can speak for myself people sometimes say to me like you look like you're killing it I'm like oh my god I am a puddle of emotion (laughs) Everybody looks like they have it together. All you need to do is like go on someone's LinkedIn and be like, oh my God. It is the world of social media. And I was going to speak about this. Obviously, people post their wins or or just kind of how they're feeling in the moment. I wouldn't say it's necessarily fake. I think it's still genuine. But I think that I don't feel comfortable crying on social media and letting mm. people see me cry. Um, I'm not afraid of being vulnerable, but yeah, I'd I'd be posting 90% of the time that I'm sad if I did, you know, I don't know if it's like well received or, or fun for people or I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a beast, I guess, social media, but yeah, everybody does seem like they have it together. And then when you speak to them in real life, you're like, oh my God, there's so much more going on. But life is very different now than it was, you know, even five, six years ago. So I think we're all learning how to get that balance of being our true self and giving that sort of like true perception of yourself but also not but also controlling how much you do that if that makes Mm. sense yes definitely like I I talk about feeling sad but I only do it as an afterthought or as an kind of after I've already done it like I I wouldn't post a story of me crying for example um because that's weird like if you if someone (laughs) looked at me doing that I'd be like she's upset why is she like why she picked up her phone and like is recording herself um but that's just kind of me I guess like everyone has different ways of dealing with it and I think every way of doing it there's no wrong or right way right you just you do what you feel and and we all have our own platforms so we're allowed to kind of just express however we wish yeah but I did actually want to ask you about that because of course like social media is such a big part of your career as well because you obviously like market yourself on there you have to obviously portray yourself in a certain way to make sure that you're you're still getting good work and you know all of that so like how I guess how do you find that balance between like being 
genuine on social media and like still putting your true self out there but also making sure you're pushing the best version of yourself as well so that you you keep getting good work I think that's a really good question and thank you for like asking me this because I think a lot of actors or, or creatives I'll say creatives um go, go through this kind of how much should I post on social media oh I don't want to post on social media I hate it I love it uh I need it oh, I can't be bothered with it. There's all these thoughts that, that that are rushing through your head. And Yannick and I, every day, are just like, oh, man, I can't be bothered. I just can't be bothered with social media. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, well, we do need to post something to stay, to stay current, to stay relevant, or to remind the people that are following you that you exist. Because I think in this fast-changing world that when none of us are used to, it's very easy to sort of move on because our attention spans are like obviously shorter now um we're processing information that we're not sort of genetically built to process that fast so I think to answer your question it's I I think the balance that I found is post the work that you need to post and then get off because if I spend time on social media sort of browsing or looking through um my the the people I'm following or my explore page I'll just get sucked in it's addictive and I may not feel good about myself afterwards so it's I think it's about creating the balance of I have a film coming out I will post about that film Mm -hmm. and other than that you know I I think I'll take a break but if I want to be personal sometimes because I'm feeling like I want to be personal then I'll, I'll, I'll post something personal but it's not like a, I don't like to have like a paper plan or a strategy of what exactly I'm going to post and why, if that makes sense. A lot of it is based on instinct, um, yeah. which, is, which is a lot of my life, actually. My life decisions are based on instinct, um, especially in the last three years. Uh, I've been learning to trust my instinct much more than I used to when I was growing up because I realized how much power it has and how real it is. So, yeah, yeah, there, there is. There's this balance of be creative you and then you you. There is a difference. And it, it, it is hard to balance. I think when I when I speak to people in real life or my friends when we have a phone call, when you you and I chat, it's very it's very different to how I am sort of reacting on my social media, if that makes sense. Mm. It all looks great on there and it might not be great in real life. So Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. I don't know. I don't know how to balance it, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you for being honest because like that is I guess the truth is that it is hard to balance and and I think they are kind of almost like they don't really mix like on one hand you can be completely honest and genuine and like you know there could you could be talking about something that you don't like about the industry but of course like you wouldn't share that on your platform if you know you, you are in that industry and you're you're looking for more work so yeah there is a balance I guess with how much you can share but also what you said about just post and just leave it. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's what, I, yeah, I've started doing that. Like, cause it, we have this tendency of posting and then staring at it. <laughs> oh yeah. Like you stare and you see the comments you're like, oh my God, this is great. This is so or good. you be like, did it get enough likes in the first couple of minutes? Yeah. There's all those. I don't know why we do that to ourselves. Like how are we, how are we seeing ourselves and rating our own self through other people's likes? I don't Mad. know. It is. It really is. It's just a, such a weird world. Um, it reminds me of this, um, I think this Black Mirror episode, which was, yes. <gasps> right? The one I about like, <laughs> I think it was the scariest one because it was so close to reality and how like currency is likes. That is like 
because how many likes and followers that determines your worth in society apparently you know it's it's really sad and I'll, I'll give you a real life example of this happening there have been times on on jobs where I've met certain people and in in the first instance they'll look at you and think they'll just sort of like shove you or like be like mm, whatever like who is this uh and then and then suddenly you see their attitude change slightly once they see you on social media and then they're nicer and it's it's happened way too many times to me i'm very used to it not not that i have a massive following on social media but it it just makes a difference when people see you in real life and talk to you and don't give you the time of day and then they add you on social media and then it's it's just different yeah they treat you different they treat you a little bit different and i'm like huh interesting or like based on who you know, like who's following you, you know, if there's loads of like really big accounts oh, yeah. following you, then it's like, oh, she must be cool. Let me hang out with her. Yeah, which is, um, again, a very different world to what we were born into. So we're st- I'm still kind of figuring it out. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all are. I wanted to kind of take a couple steps back and just ask you a little bit about before the acting world, who yeah. was Nisha Alia? Like, where did you grow up? What were your younger years like? I don't know where to start. Growing up, I wasn't very close to my roots. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a mixed race background. My mum's side is Burmese. My dad's side is Indian. My dad's side of the family had migrated to the UAE in like the late 50s, I think. And so my back home was the city Sharjah. And so being Indian and Burmese, but having a back home, which is Sharjah, and then growing up, being born in Holland and growing up in London, it, it was it's a mess, you know, and it's like, where do I place myself? I didn't even think about these things as a child, obviously, like you don't really think that you're different or that you have identity that is linked to certain labels of where you're from or where your family's from. But I think I learned difference through primary school where you know somebody would come up to me like a kid would come up to me and say oh you're one of those people that have a a red dot on your face on your forehead and obviously you can imagine the the very nasty comments that followed that you know I remember being sort of pushed by a white boy in school onto the floor Uh, I remember like playing kiss chase and knowing that I will never be chased Um, (laughs) you know uh, and you learn that because it's like oh those guys only chase those girls okay got it (laughs) you learn these things and I I don't think I mean I don't I was never into like the kissing aspect of the game it was always because I was a tomboy and I enjoyed running so much yeah that I used to play that game and I knew I'd be the one chasing um but yeah it's just these little things that you learn in school and then you realize oh different you are not the same as everybody else and plus my language so my English language wasn't very good um because my parents didn't speak English fluently or very well so English for me to understand it was I was much slower than than the rest of my sort of peers so yeah growing up when I think about it was a bit of a blur and I didn't feel connected to my roots and I tried for like sort of hiding my my brownness to fit in but it, it really didn't work because I was clearly brown but I would turn on the television at home and there there, there would be Bollywood, right? And I would mm. look at these songs with like Madhuri Krishma and uh, Urmila and, you know, like their fashion sense and how they're speaking. And it sounds very familiar to me. And I'm like, oh, they look like, well, they don't look like me, but they look similar <laughs> in that sense. And so, yeah, when I when I used to watch Bollywood when I was younger and listen to the songs, I would just dance to the songs and feel connected to my roots. Not that I knew what they were. My family are Muslim, so I grew up Muslim. And mm. I think 
that is how I identified myself. So I, I turned to religion a lot in my younger years to to cling on to something that identified me. And I think that is the reason why I didn't ask you where you're from, because I know that's yeah. just such a confusing question. It's a mess. It's <laughs> I'm from the world. <laughs> but that's from being British Asian. Because <laughs> you're the same. You're similar, aren't you? Yeah, just boil it down to British Asian. Um, no, so, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Um, so I... I grew up, I was born in Spain and I grew up there. And then um, I actually lived in India, which not many people know when I was three. I hated the milk. Like my my grandma, even till today, she reminds me that I just didn't eat or drink any of the stuff there because I just didn't like the milk because it was from a buffalo and like it was the oh. like fresh milk from a buffalo and it still had the hairs in it, I think. And I just, yeah, I used oh, to hate great. it. Are you lactose <laughs> No, I, well, everyone's a little bit lactose intolerant. Yeah. I think I actually am a little bit because I never used to drink milk before exams. It just made me feel kind of, ugh. but yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It was weird. And then um, there was a point in my life before which I did not speak any other language apart from Hindi. So even oh. though I was living in Barcelona, I didn't speak Spanish or English. Um, so yeah, that was, that's kind of me. And then I moved to London for university 10 years ago and everyone thinks I'm British Asian and this that this is a British Asian podcast I'm like it's not <laughs> but why, yeah. do we get, why do we get sort of lumped into this you know this box of British Asian I mean I guess because we're British and we're South Asian but also even South Asian right um, that's a whole discussion because I think the South Asian experience is so broad and we could talk about this for ages, but it's like, it's actually almost, I'm trying to kind of get away now from just lumping every experience into yeah. just that, because it, there's so much more to it. Definitely. And then, and then when you speak to somebody who's not sort of from South Asia, however vast that is, people might be like, are you Asian Asian or are you South Asian? Because there's different types of Asian, you know, there's like East Asian. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do get um, a lot that I look Indian and it's my features and the fact that like my hair, like I don't I don't dye it and stuff. And so um, I was actually back in Barcelona over the holidays and walking down like Las Ramblas with um, my friend yeah. and this guy who was holding flyers for I don't know what. He was basically like, oh, you're Indian. Namaste. And I was like, oh, my because <laughs> in my head, I was like, well, I am Indian, but like. You can't just look at someone and be like namaste. What the <laughs> it's hell? Just oh my! But that's you know that's how people are in um in the souks in Marrakesh. They're like Indian, Shahrukh Khan, namaste, namaste. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> you were terrible, aren't you? <laughs> Is that all you know about India? <laughs> but it's so normal. It's like we react to it so normally because it's so just casual. Like there was one time where I was on this. Um, I'm like completely digressing here, but there's one time matter. I, I love this conversation. <laughs> I was at a train station and this guy, like he was also, I think, Indian or something. And um, he saw me and he looked, he was like standing two meters away from me while I was waiting for the train. And he yeah. looks down at his phone, starts playing a song and it was Kuch Kuch Hota Hai. He started playing it really loudly in the train oh station because he'd seen me. Cringe. And I was like, I mean, this is just... That's true, but why do, you, why do they do that? Like, I feel like a lot of, a lot of, I mean, not not a lot of guys, but there are a few guys who do that yeah. randomly. They're just like, <laughs> <laughs> speak English, please. 
speaking <laughs> of, uh, so when you mentioned like watching Madhuri and Karishma, was did you say Karishma Kapoor? Um, yeah, Karishma, Madhuri, and Urmila. Urmila, yes. Beautiful dance. I'm thinking of Rangila. But when you said that, it reminded me of the first time I saw you. Well, I have told you this since, I think. Um, but it was at KCR Diwali show. I think uh, you were performing yeah. with a company and... I honestly just looked at you because you were just on your own vibe, like as in you were giving it like 100,000% energy and I'm pretty sure everyone in the audience was just watching you. <laughs> oh my God, you're so nice. And right now, if you can see me, I like my, my all my teeth are showing at the moment, like it's just a <laughs> massive smile on my face. But do you know why I bring that up? Because... Uh, it was your energy. It was the fact that like you have that hustle. And I've, I think since I've then since met you and like known you, I see so much like hustle and just pure hard work in you. Um, I think that's why I kind of look up to you because it's like, yes, we dance similar, but also I want to have that hustle that you have. And um, I think as a, I guess as an actor um, who's done like a fair amount of films now, I feel like you need that hard kind of, thick skin almost so tell me a little bit about being someone who is just so hard working all the time like have you always been like this or has it kind of kicked in as you went into the creative arts space oh that's interesting so I think me as a person I always want to improve myself whatever that might be in so you know whether it's doing business or or learning math or dancing or doing English literature at uni I, I want to improve on whatever I'm sort of given, whatever task I'm given. And I think a lot of my friends, and I think maybe you are as well, very similar in that regard, that you want to do the best in whatever you're doing. And with that, there's a little caveat because you're you're also very, very harsh on yourself. Like if you're not if you're not achieving what you think you can, then you're then you beat yourself down. And yeah. I think that I've always been like that until recently. Um so I do hustle, but I think recently, especially during the pandemic, I have learned to become easier on myself. And so if there's a day that I don't feel like doing anything because my body is saying you are tired, you need to rest, or my brain is, you know, mentally I'm drained, I will now listen to that and and just not work or go and walk in the park and, and just soak in nature, you know, and fresh air. So I think it's it's changed during the pandemic that Yes, I am hardworking, but but at the same time, I'm not hard on myself as I used to be growing up. I think my relationship with dance has a lot to do with, I guess, my growth in terms of persistence. My, my relationship with dance is very personal. And I started dancing uh, when I was at uni. There was Freshers' Fair. And I remember it was the first time I had heard Bollywood outside my house. Mm. And I remember kind of hearing it. I can't remember what song it was. Maybe it was Haribba. Like, uh, yeah. And so I followed the the sound of the music. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? Like, why are you playing Bollywood music? I don't understand. And yeah. then I found out that they offer classes in my university, um, weekly classes that I could go to. And, and there'll be some choreography that I can learn. Now, the world then was very different to the world now. Obviously, we have so much access to Bollywood choreography dance there's there's a lot more sort of opportunities and options but back then there really wasn't any um not that I had heard of and obviously there was no social media so there was no way of getting that word around so I was so excited I was like oh my god like I could actually go to a class listen to Bollywood music and dance and like kind of learn learn new moves 
that's really cool and so I signed up to this class and I was like this is where I feel like I belong I relate to people here uh, or at least I relate to the music here and I kept going every week I was like I want to go back and I want to do that routine again and I want to show that I'm I'm better now so I think my want to be better in the creative aspect came mm. from dance because I think when you're da- as a dancer and I'm sure you you also feel this too is that there's a lot of discipline you know if your arms are out straight they must be straight if you're you're supposed to curve in a certain way it's supposed to be you know exact and I think that discipline when you're learning it in dance it kind of translates into your life as well so I think my yeah so my relationship with dance with was personal it helped me control or I guess release a lot of rage that I had growing up I lost my mum when I was very young when I was a child so I remember growing up I had a lot of anger And when I found dance, it was the best way that I could release this enormous amount of rage in a controlled environment that I never knew I had. And at the moment, at that time, I did not know that that was what was going on. It was only sort of recently when I've been thinking about my past that everything kind of falls into place. Um, Yeah. So a lot of feedback I used to get back then was you are very powerful. You're a powerhouse when you dance. But I, in the beginning, was very messy because I was obviously I'd never danced before. So I was very messy, but I had a lot of rage. So I had a lot of like power and it was just kind of like uncontrollable energy. And and now it makes sense. I'm like, oh, I understand why I was like that. I had never had the intention to become like a full time creative. I never had the intention that, oh, I am dancing and now I'm going to turn, turn this into a career. And I'll tell you why. It's because there was no representation. There, there weren't many people or, in fact, any anyone that I knew that was doing either dance or acting or modelling or being a creative and be Asian. Like, it just didn't exist. So mm. I never had the intention of, like, turning my passion into profession, if that makes sense. When you said, you know, dance is the root of, of basically all of that discipline and everything that you've done since, gosh, I feel that. Like, I was a thinker like my whole life I was you know study do exams do well uni all that like you know follow follow the path but a part of me always wanted to kind of break out and do something different but I I, I had ideas but I never executed them and then when yeah. I became a dancer or like start I mean started training I guess like four years ago uh, you know found a community found people that I connected with through this mutual interest found that discipline somewhere in all of those endless classes and training and like (laughs) things that you know we do on a weekly basis you know I don't I didn't realize this until you literally said it now is that you know every time you kind of straighten your arm and like you think about perfecting your move a little bit more and I'm also a very messy dancer but I think I have a lot of feelings that I take out through dance yeah and um and every time you're doing a little bit of perfecting you're building that resilience you're building that ability to to take that energy and put that into something else. And I love that you're an angry dancer because the more angry you are, the better you look, girl. <laughs> Stay <more> angry. <laughs> I think I think over the years, obviously, like I, that was a very young me. And mm. now, you know, I, I can see a difference in my dancing. It, it is calmer. Um, yeah. I, it is cleaner. And I still, I can still channel that rage if I want to. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely, it's, it's healed me throughout the years. Yeah. It really has. So, yeah. I'll give that to dance. <laughs> I love that. And I love that you discovered that. And just the way you discovered that song, like Haripa, and you were like, oh my God, like following the trail. Crazy. That is it's so, so bad. 
yeah, I had a very similar thing in like Freshers' Fair and like finding out about all of these different societies. I mean, I was, my mind was blown about like right. discovering this entire world that I didn't know existed. Yeah, because like, we just had academics. We just had math, you know, math, science, English, whatever, sociology, business, blah, blah, blah. What? There's a tennis society? There's there's a dance society? What? There's, there's extracurricular stuff? Wow. There's like a cheese society and like pole dancing and if I could go back I would have done that pole dancing class I don't yeah, know why I didn't same. it's never too late Vidali I know that you worked in IT um, and yeah. you said definitely you didn't imagine a career in the arts so like how I guess how did you make that transition from your nine to five career into acting and dance and singing and all the amazing things you're doing well <laughs> sounds sounds unreal when you say it like when I hear it I'm like yeah that's that's what I'm doing yeah I'm doing that I uh so again with this question I'll, I'll give a little bit of context and then sort of answer the, the question if that's okay yeah sure um when I was obviously in school primary school secondary school and when I was doing my A-levels I grew up with sort of this mindset of I must go into banking so therefore I should be math and business orientated so I was very kind of on that logical sort of structured vibe in life very sort of academic Um, and then when it came to choosing subjects for your A-levels the timetable and this is why I believe in fate so much because the timetable clashed so I could not take business and math I had to choose one and I was like no, no, but I need to take both. I have to take both. This is my this is my path. And so they said, no, I'm really sorry. The timetable clashes, so you have to pick one. So I thought, right, I've learned maths until BCSE. So and I haven't done any business, so it's probably best that I do A levels in uh, in business and explore that. Uh, it was called applied business actually. And mm. the other options were English literature, uh, music, and art. And all of these three things were so foreign to me because I I didn't have cultural capital growing up. I didn't I didn't have this exposure to the arts. So I was like, oh my god, music is a foreign language, and art I really don't understand it. I just don't get it. And English, okay, I speak it, so maybe I could do that. So I I selected English mm. literature, and I remember going to that class thinking wow, I don't even understand the questions that the, the the other kids are asking the teacher. And I, I would cry. It would make me feel really frustrated because in maths, there is one answer. You know, two plus two is always four. <laughs> it's yeah. very exact. Whereas in English literature, there are, you have to have an opinion, which I never used to have back then. Mm. I never used to have opinions because it was everything was very factual. There was, you know, your parents tell you to be a certain way and respect white people and your elders and, you know... <laughs> um, there's an answer to everything whereas in English it's like you make your answer up or you make your own sort of judgment based on what you've read and then you explain why you feel that way and it was very frustrating for me to understand that so me being me was like right English is something I do not understand and so after school I would spend an extra hour every single school day to you know with my teacher and I would say help me help me understand this subject help me with test papers and questions and reading and developing an opinion and I remember my English teacher asking me which book do you prefer is it the fresh French lieutenant's woman 
or is it uh, Wuthering Heights? And I know a lot of people read those books uh, in school. And I was like, uh, I like both of them. And he was like, right, okay, so that's an opinion. Why do you like both of them? And I was like, oh God, why do I like them? Um, and I realized I liked them because I could just relate to them. They were Victorian literature. And a lot of Victorian literature is very similar to the way South Asians are, like, you know, how women should be and should behave and like arrange marriages and all of that, which I had grown up with. So I related to that literature. But in that, I I found how to form opinions. And then I do have opinions and I can make my own sort of decisions in life. So I fell in love with English. And then I decided to do that at university. So now I'm suddenly a creative mind doing English literature at university. Mm. That's where I found dance. So while I was at university, I was also working a retail job. And when I finished university, I continued with my retail job, which was uh, Karen Millen. And I I started going full time. And I think Mm. social class is quite is important to discuss here because I come from a working class background. And when when you come from a background where you're financially very limited, you can't make decisions based on what you want to do. It's almost like I have to pay bills. I have to pay for my food and the clothes on my back. So therefore, I just need to find a job. And I remember thinking that because all my friends and everybody around me, my age, were going into internships of like, you know, law or publishing and uh, a writing internship that was for free, obviously. And I really, I remember thinking, I really want to do these things because that's the career I want to do. I want to be in publishing or I want to do a conversion course and take law. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but, you know, those were the, that's where my mind was. As somebody who has to sort of think about finances, you can't make that choice because you cannot afford to work for free for six months or a year. It's just, it's just not a possibility. So uh, I just went into retail full time and started looking for a desk job, nine to five. And and a tech company sort of called me and asked me to interview. And obviously I was over the moon because I was like, yes, I have a real job. Like I'm going to earn money now. Like I've made my my dad proud and like I'm I'm a valid human being. Mm, (laughs) That's how I felt back then. And, you know, I started making money every month and I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. Like I've never seen this this money before in my life and it's great I can pay rent I can eat well and in that job me being me I wanted to be better at it so I worked through in four years I think I got three or four promotions because I you know I was just like I want to get better I started to love that world and I started to think if this is where life has put me I want to do my best here so I want to climb the ladder you know I want to be better I want to earn more why not you know you're you're ambitious yeah it was only till when I was I was so my my friend Lena, who you know, mm. um, she had she was choreographing for a show called Bring on the Bollywood, which is a musical theatre sort of show uh, based in the UK. And she was like, "Why don't you come along? You know, we'll go there together. Uh, you can help me sort of sort of teach, and we'll hang out afterwards, and then we'll go to rehearsal and whatever." We had a day plan, and I was like, "I was like, yeah, cool. This is great. This sounds great." Yeah. And uh, so I went there and I was, you know, helping the auditionees, as it were, to sort of dance and learn the choreography. Obviously, I enjoyed it. So I was like loving life. And that's when a the director of the play, Samir, he sort of noticed me and said, 
I don't I haven't seen your CV who are you and I was like oh I don't I don't have a CV um sorry I work in IT like I'm just I'm just Lena's friend I'm helping (laughs) and he was like oh okay well do you want to audition and I said oh no well I mean that's great but I'm not I'm not an actor and I um I have a job like I have a nine to five there's no way I can take six months off my life you know there's there's no way that that can happen and he said just audition please can you just audition and he gave me 20 minutes to audition and I was like what and you know I remember like the friends that are around me then they were like we were all laughing because we were like what is going on like this is so new um and so I went away and I read the script and then there was a song that I had to sing and thank god because I know Bollywood the song was La Jagale so I couldn't read music he gave me a music sheet and I couldn't read music but I knew the song so I was like I know La Jagale so I can just sing that great I went back in and I did that audition and he obviously saw potential and he said that the character that he's looking for the natural sort of characteristics that person has that character has I have in my personality mm. and she is a dancer so you know and he, he said you dance very well so can you come back for another audition so I went through several auditions um just because I was like why not and I asked some of my friends who said, what have you got to lose? There's nothing to lose. And I thought, OK, fine. Like if I'm being asked to audition, I will. Why not? Yeah. Uh, until one day I was sat in my office and I got a Facebook message from him saying, you've got the lead role. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. But now I have to make a choice. What do I do? Can I accept it? But if I accept it, I need to be able to financially survive which wasn't yeah. going to be a, which wasn't going to be possible. So I spoke to my the CEO of the company that I was working at with who was very very supportive and he said take the break, take 6 months off and come back because we love you here, you're doing a great job. So our our you know doors are always open to you. Um and I thought okay this is this is great. So now I have to figure out 6 months worth of survival money. Um and so I negotiated fees with the director for how much I will make and if I'll be able to survive on that money which I did mm, yeah and that was it that was the leap and it was based on one friend's uh, advice who said do you want to have this what if moment in your life like when you're when you're 80 or 90 years old or 70 years old or however long I will live inshallah do you want to think like what if I said yes what would have happened what if I said no? What would what would my life look like? Do you want to have this regret? And I was like, no, I actually don't want to have this regret because even though I haven't planned this, this has come to me for a reason. So yeah, even if I fail, even after six months, like I don't do a good job and I go back, it's great. This is the, this is the time of my life. I've had six months off where I I'm living outside of my house. I'm living in digs and I'm you know with other creative people and it's great. Or I can actually make something of myself. So that that was the sort of thought process at that time. I know this is a very, very long answer to your question, but I really needed to give context to like how it all happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's based on, I don't want to have regrets in my life. So mm. if something sounds good to me and my instinct tells me that I should go for it, I will. And that's how I've lived ever since then. <laughs> and that was the moment that, that, that flipped your mindset. Right? That was the moment, yeah, because I, I went back into, we went into the first day of rehearsals and we were around a table reading a script. And at, at that point, I was like, 
wow, this is what I used to do in my English literature seminars. We used to read a book and discuss the characters. This is exactly what I'm doing now. So I was meant to do English literature all along. Mm. And I I know it sounds really fairy tale like and very kind of cliche and very like, oh, my God, what a wonderful story. But it is true. This is my reality. Like, this is how it happened. And the real the realization of how everything fit together came afterwards, not while it was happening or before it happened, if that makes sense. So that was the moment. We talk about manifestation a lot in like quite an airy fairy way. And it has come up in previous episodes as well, um, where kind of this whole idea of the law of attraction and, you know, you, whatever you manifest happens in your life. But I think every time, like, I mean, I hear your story and I hear other stories as well. There is so much evidence that like you've made this happen for yourself. Like something may have clicked in your brain to make you like to gravitate you towards English. It may have been a coincidence, but then like gravitating towards the Bollywood music, towards dance and then through dance, finding this role, like it all kind of makes sense because you took those steps over time as well. And you made decisions like that, that decision you made, that was your choice. But obviously like it led into this whole other career for you, which I think is you now living your truth because you constantly followed your gut over time. I think so. And I, I love that you said that because I would like to explore like just personally why I made those certain steps in my life because at the time I didn't know. So it'd be really interesting for me to sort of go back and really think about it, like just for my own sort of personal growth, I guess, and understanding myself deeper. Um, but I, I hear you. I think, I think before... I became a creative, a full-time creative. I didn't know I could make decisions for myself, even though I did in, in those small areas. But afterwards, I was like, I can design my life. Like, I, I really have the power to do it if I want to, regardless of the limitations that that you are presented with. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I speak to a lot of girls who may message me or call me or, or ask me for advice. and you know, they present me with their limitations. I want to do this, but I can't because. And I want to, I want to shake them and say, yes, you can, you can do it. You really can do it. Just, just do it. Um, it's possible. It's really possible. If I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. You also let go of that stability. Like you made that decision to be like, you know what? I might not be financially secure for a while if I take this leap, but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't want those regrets. And you're still alive. You're still, you know, doing great and thriving and and doing better every day. So it's kind of like letting go of that fear in that moment, which you did. I I think that's the the scariest part for for me. and And I think a lot of people, and I think you and I have also discussed this as well with, with, with how you feel about the the financial stability yeah and um I think that's the most scariest part because then you start living a life that you don't feel is normal Mm. so you know I cannot right now or for a while think of having a mortgage because it's just not a possibility I Mm. can't get married at the moment just because I can't afford a a wedding you know Mm. there's these life things that all your friends that are not in the career in the in the arts or might be in the arts part-time but also have stability that kind of life is moving on forward for them and for you everything has kind of stopped and Mm. 
you're like, okay, this is my means and this is what I can live in. But that's fine. That's the sacrifice you make to do what you want to do. If does that make sense? It's like you yeah. live a you live a life that's like, yes, it's on a budget. You 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 budget your weekly expenses and how much you can spend on food and can you go out? Can you not go out? There's uh there's an entire lifestyle change. You know, there's a whole thing of like it doesn't matter what cards you're dealt. And again, yeah. like sounds so cliche, but it's like it doesn't matter what cards you're dealt, it's more like how you play them that yeah. determines, you know, what happens in your life. And I think you're you're a really great example of like having basically taken not very much privilege and turned it into the life that you're that you want to live. And I'm sure it's, you know, ups and downs every single day. And I want to ask you actually about like, okay, so that was your happily ever after moment when you got that big break. But what yeah. what's it been like since, you know, what have the ups and downs been like? And would you say that you have any regrets? No, I have no regrets at all. And this is why I know that I am where I'm supposed to be. Because when I was working in IT, I loved it. It was great. It was my career path. And I thought, oh, this is my life. Great. But I knew internally I didn't, I wasn't happy and I couldn't figure out why. Whereas here, I feel like my mind, body and soul are in alignment. I feel that sort of contentment and peace. So I have no regrets about becoming uh, an actor. Um, I did have a happily, you know, a happily ever after in that moment, in that, in those six months, that was my happily ever after. But the real work began after that because with that opportunity I was allowed to learn in the rehearsal process I had a lot of support that kind of allowed me to play and research and learn about how to act it wasn't like rehearsal to learn to be the character it was rehearsals to be an actor it was very different to how everybody else was um sort of rehearsing does that make sense yeah um I was being taught the basics of of acting everybody else was being was just were were just learning their lines as an actor and and developing their characters so again with that was very different um what happened after that was now I'm on my own now I don't have a rehearsal or a, a company or or anything to kind or even yeah finance to kind of continue so Things after that got very, very tough. I I came to financial breaking point. Um, I think it was a few months down the line, maybe six or seven months down the line. Um, I came to breaking point, which is when mm-hmm. I decided to to take on a part time job while I was also a full time creative. And the part time wow. job was three days a week. It was in an another IT company, and I supported myself for six months uh, with that job. Until I realized, and and this I think is very important to anybody who is wanting to do both. Both. I mean, there's a lot of there, there's a lot of people I know that are doing both, and they're absolutely smashing it. I realized when I was doing both is that I'm not giving a hundred percent in any of them. I'm doing fifty percent there, and I'm doing fifty percent here, and therefore I am feeling constantly drained. I'm feeling my, my mental health is suffering because I'm not able to be very good at one thing or the other. Mm. um and so I I was like okay even though financially I'm surviving mentally I'm not so I have to make a decision now and Mm. that is when I was like right I've saved enough money from this job I need to just go back into full-time commitment and that's what I did so I went back in full-time and luckily I have been surviving ever since just somehow whether it's Mm. you know doing a music video doing a commercial doing a film 
uh, doing a photo shoot. It's all a part of making that money in the industry. Because when you when you when you a hundred percent depend on survival, then I think there's a di- there's a different kind of power that comes with that. Does that make sense? It's yes. your survival that 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 kick in, and it makes you work harder just automatically because you're thinking about oh my god, how am I paying rent next month? That thought is scary and it makes you do it makes you just go crazy. You do everything you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think um kind of our, our parents' generation on the whole, like being obviously first generation immigrants ourselves, I think I've seen that in them, like in my family and that generation. Like they I don't know what you know, it was like what pill have you taken? But actually it was the fact that they were in this situation, right? It was like, you have to make ends meet every single month. And so you'll do whatever it takes. And I think with me, I don't even have half the hustle that, you know, my parents had at the time. And, but it's a different time. It is a different time. The thing is with me, okay, like I can look at my life and be like, well, you know, I didn't have it that difficult um, because I was quite sheltered. Um, and then you start thinking, well, is that why I'm not hardworking enough? And I think there's a lot of people in that situation as well who are kind of like, well, I didn't have to be in survival mode and that's why I'm kind of just cruising through life. But we then have to actively take notice of that privilege. Like I'm starting to kind of tell myself, okay, like I have all this privilege. How do I turn that into something even greater? And that is what gives me energy. Yeah, I I was going to say, I love that you've said that because it is, that it's just that realization of understanding where you are and your and noticing your privileges as I notice my privileges and mm-hmm. you, you turn that into the fuel whatever it is you know there's no right or wrong way of doing it, it it's whatever your fuel is that's what's going to take you forward I think just with regards to obviously like financials and trying to make ends meet and things like that what I love about what you said was you actually decided to then take another job. And what I want to kind of highlight from that is that, and I've done, I've kind of done this in my life where, you know, when something kind of doesn't go right or doesn't go your way or something Mm -hmm. basically sets you back, it's very easy to start kind of blaming the universe and getting into this weird mindset that the more you suffer, the more the universe is going to reward you. And I oh, think yeah. for many years I was in this sort of misconception that you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna complain like all the time and just like show everyone how much my life sucks. I'm gonna cry every day, and yeah. then and then things are gonna work out, you know. But I wasn't putting in the work. And what you did was like you know what? Okay, let me evaluate my situation. Uh, fine, okay, I'm at financial breaking point. I need a job. So you actually took away the emotion and put that aside, and you were like, right, what do I need to do? And honestly, I would love to like look into your brain because I think I don't think many people are able to actually separate emotion from, you know, from whatever situation they're in and what they need to do next. Wow. It's funny that I just find it interesting. You said that about me because obviously the people that live like so Yannick, you know, he sees me every single day and he would describe me as an emotional mess. Okay, maybe he won't, but I I am saying that he would say that. Um, And it it's very hard for me to actually separate emotion from what I need to do. But I yeah. think, do you know what? I think it's when you go through like a, a whole massive set of emotions and you're crying every day, which, you know, no doubt I have as, as of you. Um, and when you hit a point where it's like bleak, you know, and you're like, okay, I need to help myself because if I don't, it's not going to end well. Um, yeah. 
that I remember I remember this point very very clearly in my life I it's very simple I took four or five pages of blank A4 paper and each one I wrote a topic of the problem that I had that I was facing so if Mm. it was family for example I wrote family uh, on one paper if it was work like or finances I wrote that on one thing if it was rent you know I I wrote that on one thing does that make sense like so I wrote the different topics of problems on different pieces of paper laid them out all in front of me and then in that I listed the problems and I and I looked at them like on paper and then decided how do I fix that particular problem and I think that's a really simple fix like I know it sounds like how do you separate emotion from logic and but if you write it down on paper this is what helped me to just yeah. look at it for what it is um yeah. and then I just was like right okay if I have a money problem I just need to get a job how do I balance creativity and and working right I need to do part-time so how do I split these days you know you you start thinking in that kind of way after you've had that emotional breakdown yeah. that's where yeah. you hear it and and really see it for for what it is for real um and I think that in terms of looking into my brain, I think that comes from me being in uh, me being in IT, and I know that yeah. you're in IT as well. And yeah. IT is is the entire function of problem solving. It is when all the problems come to you, you're 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 the problem fixer. Mm. And I was in procurement where anything that went wrong with invoicing or the product or licensing or software or anything, I was the one where I had to to deal with that problem and solve it. So I think those skills helped me figure out my my life as a creative. So I think anybody else working in IT or in medicine, and I know a lot of people working in medicine, you know, who are balancing their creative life with uh, a, a life in in these professions. Yeah. I think it works hand in hand. Whatever your profession is teaching you feeds your creativity and it helps your creativity and vice versa. Like no experience is lost. You're you're learning and growing from everything constantly. Love, love, love that. Because yes, I think it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm stuck in this rut, not learning anything. I've just lost three years of my life, you know, all this stuff. And then it's like, hold on a minute, but all the things I've learned, I can then apply them. And I think your story up until now you know everything you've actually done such a great job of like actually joining the dots in your head and being like this is why this happened this is why that happened and you know I took this from my English lit degree I took this from IT just so cool because it's like you're an actor like there's nothing I would never think like there would be anything in common with an IT job in procurement and acting but you've managed to find commonality which is cool it's crazy I think it's because I you know I ha- I am with somebody Yannick he's he's always been to drama he's been to drama school you know he's always been an actor he's always yeah. been creative and we we are faced with each other and we have so many differences and we discuss those differences and why one person may be better at something and then the other person better at the- another thing and you you realize how that those things have developed so I yeah. think I've, I've had a really good like for the last three years I've had a good like oh you're different in that sense and because this was your upbringing and and your mindset works like this and and I'm like this so it's just yeah it's just a learning curve I'm still continuing to learn love that um so I want to move on to actually some of the projects that you've done and um before we do that I mean global pandemic hits in 2020 how did you cope like were you still working throughout that uh did you face like a dip in your projects that were coming up 
yeah massively oh massively mm. yeah uh like I said before at the beginning I thought do I even have a career but I think with creativity it's really interesting and I'm sh- I think you've also seen it as well like it just kind of changes shape so mm. even though traditionally you know filming was done a certain way now filming is done a, a different way um yeah. and I think that you know with with the help of zoom and online and um shooting from home and having iPhones with good cameras um it, it we're still able to do the work that that is required of us but yes there has been a massive dip because as an actor there aren't as many films filming in the, during the pandemic obviously um so that's where I found the the biggest dip and and it slowed me down completely um in the beginning a few projects I had signed up to had either cancelled or pushed back which obviously financially was a strain as well Mm. but I've been okay I've been surviving and I think online has a big big part to play in that there has been a dip it's been a a big hit on mental health because you're you're doubting yourself even more in this time Mm. but you got to do what you got to (laughs) do yeah exactly each take one day as it comes right um So we know now that you are both an Amazon Prime and a Netflix actress. So firstly, Amazon Prime. So I watched Shakuntala Devi with my mom. And I think it is um, largely like a film about like a relationship between a mom and her daughter. So we decided to watch it together. And I saw you come on screen and I was like, mom, that's my friend Nisha. And she was like, oh, my God. And it was just so weird, like seeing someone I knew in person on screen. And tell me a little bit about that experience. And how did you get that role? Was that something that was that you always wanted to do or like that was in your kind of goals? So as an actor, I have an agent who basically is applying for jobs for me um, almost every single working day. Uh, Along with that, I'm also sort of hustling myself through socials and my network and, you know, just the hustle carries on. So this particular job I got from uh, my agent had applied for the job and the director had seen my my uh, self, my uh, showreel Mm -hmm. and then had asked for me to self tape and audition for it. So what they do is they send you a script um, just a little bit and you basically you know, learn the lines, learn the character and tape yourself and then you send it back to them, at which point they decide whether you are shortlisted for another round um, or not. You know, if you're not right for the character, then then you're not selected. So that was a process and that's how I got the job. And when I got it, I was like, oh my gosh, Shakuntla Devi, that has Vidya Bal in it. This is amazing. Like, I'm going to mm. be in front of her and I'm going to be, I'm just going to be acting with her, which is insane. She's an amazing actress and I, I really, really enjoy her work. So, yeah, that's how I got that job. It was a beautiful experience, especially because the director was is, is female and the entire production was female-led, which is very different to other sets that I've been on. So mm. seeing a female-led production with a main lead as, as a female and seeing strong female characters in the film, that was huge in itself because I was like, oh, this is... This is a great place to be right now. It feels awesome. And I remember sort of waiting for her. I was ready for my shot. I was waiting for her. And she had finished her shot and came in this beautiful pink sari. And I was like, wow, you're so beautiful. Um, 
she said hello to me and she wanted to find out about me she was asking where I was born where I brought up where I was brought up how do I know Hindi and I was like oh my god Vidya Balan is talking to me like outside <laughs> the scene it was insane and I was just I was literally like inside there was a lot of fireworks it was like there was this insane amount of energy like I wanted to like get up and start dancing but I was very calm and I was very contained I was just answering the questions and not being too pushy and not being like you know too kind of like I don't want to push it and and bother you kind of thing Mm. (laughs) it's such a weird feeling but yeah she was really lovely and that whole experience was unforgettable and obviously seeing my face on screen I was like yes I'm in I'm in the film they didn't cut it that's great is there always this fear that um that you're seen maybe cut out and yeah and does that happen quite often um so to me luckily I think it it hasn't happened yet um but but it is something that that can happen and it's happened to a lot of sort of actors that I have been speaking to some some people have had some huge roles that have like completely reduced and it's nothing to do with them it's literally just to do with does it fit the film or the message the film is trying to put out or you know something might be wrong with the scene it's nothing to do with the person it's to do with the the sort of whole vision of the film um but yeah it it is that is really tough I think for a lot of creatives a lot of actors because we have the longest sales cycle from initial engagement to getting the job to doing the job to getting paid and then to wait a year or two for the film to release to then see your part in it and then see what happens next that sales cycle is incredibly long and it needs a certain kind of resilience and patience and determination yeah Yeah, we were speaking about how you're no longer the person you were when you filmed that you know shot or that movie compared to when it actually does come out and how disorientating is that yeah it's mad because obviously everyone else is seeing you as that in the present Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're like that was a great piece of work I did, but my mind and 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 everywhere everything else that I'm doing is is somewhere completely different at the moment. It is very disorientating. I can't really explain how. I wouldn't know how to explain how, but I do feel that lag, and I feel, mm. I feel weird about it. Because <laughs> then you're you're getting work today based on something you did two three years ago. You're probably a completely different actor back then. Oh yeah. So my my first film was forever and it was an independent Hindi English film and it was shot in the UK Mm. and I it was my first film so again with that film I was learning a lot while I was on set like I had exponential growth in terms of learning how to how to like set etiquette and how to interact with people and what what needs to be done Mm. and then and then obviously when the film released which was which was a very long time after it was shot I know that I had much more training as an actor because I went to acting school and I got myself trained yeah. I learned more about the craft and I thought okay well now I've grown you know I can clearly see my growth um but people are judging you based on that performance so yeah mm-hmm. it, it is difficult to get that and I'm, I'm still very new in figuring out how to deal with that I will figure it out <laughs> I'm sure you will and like I guess it's just ultimately about giving it the best shot you possibly can in the moment yeah um, and because you never know like where that's going to benefit you in the future. It's like you said, you know, when you decided to quit your IT job, they were willing to take you back in a heartbeat, yeah. even though they knew you you were looking to change career. 
And and it's because you did a good job in the moment. And that's all you can really do, right? Just be authentic. It's interesting because I've never heard anybody speak about this whole like lag with films. And I know there's loads of films that get canned completely. Yeah, because imagine you do like a really fantastic role and you're really happy with it. But you're like, oh, right, I am an actor. I have done work. It's just not released. So <laughs> I guess we move, right? We just look at we the next move. thing. Yeah, because a lot of people do. I mean... I remember going back back into 2017 and just in the beginning when I used to go on other shoots that weren't acting related, but I had, no, was it 2018? I can't remember, but I had done forever. So I'd done a, I'd done a lead role in a, in a film. So mm. in my head, I'm like, well, I, this is my career. This is what I'm doing. But then mm. other shoots I would go to, for example, modeling shoots. And, I, and then they would ask, what do you do? And I'd be like, I'm an actor. It, mm. it, was, it was almost laughable because they had never seen me or heard heard of me. And being an actor doesn't mean famous. Being an actor is a, being is doing a job. So even if you haven't heard of an actor, like an actor isn't a star. They're two different things. So yeah. when somebody says you're an actor, then you, then you are an actor. You don't have to be famous. And I, I think I met a lot of people who would be like, yeah, but what have, what have you been in? Like, where have I seen you? And I'm like, oh, well, you haven't because, well, you haven't. <laughs> then nothing's released. I haven't you know, it's very awkward <laughs> that conversation um but now you know I have I have Shakuntla Devi to re- to refer to I have the girl on the train to refer to yes. so that's quite nice to kind of be able to be like yeah I'm an actor and you may have seen me in X, Y, and Z mm. so yeah good. talk to me about the girl on the train like how did that role come about was it a similar process to Shakuntla Devi yeah it was a it was a similar process you know I I got a casting through my agent and I did a self-tape, then I did another self-tape, then I did another self-tape. I, was, I think there was like two or three rounds of auditions mm-hmm. for that. And I kept getting shortlisted, which was really great. Um, and then, yeah, I went on, I remember going on set. And this was like probably the biggest set I I had been on. I was on Shakuntla Devi, but this one was like, it just felt even more, I don't know, crazy. Like, Pariniti mm-hmm. Jobra was like, opposite me (laughs) it was was nuts and so I was very afraid inside like I had this like I think it's imposter syndrome and like all this kind of like feeling less syndrome and whatever it is but I was there and I was like do I deserve to be here no I deserve to be here there's all this like context going on while you know people are giving me a script and preparing me for the scene and then I've got hair and makeup then I'm getting mic'd up then I'm like in a moment, I'm going to go and sit next to Bariniti Chopra and say my lines. Is my voice going to shake? You know, am I going to be nervous? Because I, I am really nervous. Um, mm. So there's all those things happening in your mind whilst you're learning the lines that you have to say, whilst figuring, figuring out your character. Because they, give it, they gave it to me like on the day. So on the day of every shoot day, I got the script of that day. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was nerve wracking. but also exciting so I had this insane amount of adrenaline in me and I it it was like it I think it's described as having like 10 car crashes like the 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 trauma of having 10 car crashes within you I read it somewhere I don't know how true that is but it now that I've like said it it really feels like that um and then afterwards you just basically do nothing like after the after the shoot day is over you're like I just want to lay in bed and not think about a single thing I just need to disappear for a while um, which is why I think probably you've heard that actors do after after a shoot, they just they disappear or they go on holiday or they just completely go out of sight. It's just because mentally it's it's quite a lot 
excitement, insecurity, self-doubt, you know, can I perform? I will perform. There's a lot of people looking at you at the moment. And I'm not, I'm not a a natural, it's gonna sound weird. I'm not a natural extrovert. The extrovertness mm. is worked on. I'm a, I'm an introvert that has worked on being an extrovert, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I so, relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, I know you do. So you do your great job. So that's how it felt to be on that set and work on that film. It was a great experience. And I yeah, I remember feeling so grateful. Um I felt like this warm light and this warm fuzzy feeling in my heart afterwards. Thinking, oh my god, like this is so amazing. And I'm so glad it's coming out. Like finally it's coming out. I'm very excited about it. And I hope it goes well. I hope people like my performance. Oh, it's probably oh. going to be out by the time this um, episode comes out. But yes, oh. I think I can't think of anyone who deserves it more than you, like given how hard you worked and and like basically truly self-made. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. Obviously, you're a British Asian actor working in Bollywood. So there are a lot of, I guess, there's a lot of conversation about how difficult it is to work in Bollywood. And as a British Asian actor, how have you had your, like, what has your experience been like? And is it as difficult as they say it is? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's difficult, like, to be on set. I mean, I'm going to speak from my experience. For me to, to, to be on set and be given a script and learn it on the day and be able to perform it. Now, that, that function in itself, it's, it's a challenge. Um, being on a Bollywood set as a British Asian actor is also difficult because I think initially you have to get past that she's the English girl sort of vibe. Yeah. Um, because you're obviously, initially, when they first see you, they probably see like, oh, she's different because she's mm. from here. Um, and then I guess because I've worked on my Hindi, um, when I start speaking and people are like, oh, OK, well, you know, Hindi, how, how do you know Hindi? And how, you speak, you know, well, and um, we can connect with you. And then it becomes sort of easier in that sense, because they're like, oh, right, she's she's all right. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> she's not going to stand there like, you know, and be and be foreign. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's different. I just think it's different working in the UK industry and then working in the Bollywood industry it's definitely different I think there's different like sort of codes of conduct and processes different different levels of chaos but I think that happens with every set that you're on and every film production has its set of challenges I think I think the Bollywood work that I've done the the hardest thing for me was to not see the star that I'm working with as a star and just yeah. see them as a human being and see them like I can shake this person with my hands you know I'm, I shouldn't be afraid to if I need to if I need to shake them in the scene like physically I can do that without thinking oh my god I don't want to hurt Freddie Mitchell like I'm really sorry yeah. you know like yeah. you, just, you just automatically have this this thing where you're like oh you're a star I can't I can't you know talk to you in a certain way or whatever but I think um I was made to feel comfortable but Niti especially, she was she was very comfortable to work with. And she kind of allowed me, she even said, like, don't look at me. I, I, I said to her, I'm still seeing you as Niti, I'm sorry. And then she was like, it's okay, it's fine, just chill. We can do this, let's go. So she she helped me through that, which was, which was nice. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It goes back to this whole thing that an actor is an actor, it's a profession. It's not just a celebrity or it isn't, yeah. you know, they, they are separate things. And They're massively separate. 
Yeah, and when you're in that moment, when you're acting, you're just acting with another fellow actor, yeah. regardless of whether it's Bariniti Chopra or Vidya Balan or anyone else. Or so. yeah, or Ifan Khan. I remember, I remember shooting with him, and <gasps> yes, you did that advert with him, didn't you? I did, I did. He was, yeah, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. But I remember feeling very nervous, and I, again, it was like when I speak, when I finally speak and get out of my head, will my voice shake? Because that's the worst thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is like about just the mindset thing again of like knowing that you're equally as professional and that obviously, you know, at the end of the day, it's just another human being. But I can imagine because I always say this whenever I see like someone famous, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to fangirl. Like that's such a, you know, that's not cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then here in the moment, you do pa- get paralyzed a little bit. Yeah, like even if you don't ask them for a picture, and I, I never do, but in the in inside you're like, oh my god, like I've only seen you on TV. I'm a fan. <laughs> exactly. And like the fact that every other person in the world or like millions of people around the world would probably be like, oh my goodness, you know? Yeah. And you've got to act really cool about it. You're just like, yeah, this is fine. I'm just here to say my lines and act and create this scene with you. Great. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's gonna be a time where other people are gonna be doing that to you. Oh, I don't know if I can deal with that, to be honest. I don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> Not yet. One, one thing at a time. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the last part of the episode. Um, I feel like we've just covered so much different, like so many different topics. Um, I want to talk about resilience and what you've learned from your journey. Obviously, you're an actor, you're a model, you're a dancer, you're also a singer, you're like all these different things. I would say like you've basically well from what I've learned today you've basically like built yourself up to the person that you are today what have you actually learned about yourself over time that's a great question and and I think do you know what it's 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 gonna sound a bit like those motivational videos that you see and, and I love listening to Will Smith and you know JLo and and all the others but what they say is true and it and it really is that so I'm just gonna repeat some of the uh things that I think that apply to me, which is, I am stronger than I think. Because I, th- I think initially, it's so easy to think of yourself like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough for this, whatever this is. Uh, and then and then you find so many excuses like, oh, I'm not as pretty as blah, blah, blah. I'm not mm-hmm. as rich as blah, blah, blah. I'm not as, you know, privileged or and it, there's so many things that you're like, I'm not as. What you got to realize is, yes, you are because it's your own mind nobody else is telling you this and even if they are you need to not listen to them you need mm. to tell yourself that you are stronger than you than, than you think and if there is something that you want to do if you have a vision it is possible to achieve because once you have a clear vision then you then what happens is that you take a step towards that vision and then you find people who are doing the same thing as you or that might may want to help you because it helps them. So you collaborate and you work together, and and it's it's almost like you put it in motion just by walking one step further. So mm. what I've learned about myself is that I am stronger than I think, and I am definitely more privileged than I used to think. I am not mm-hmm. a victim because I think even the way I've spoken in this uh, in this podcast for a long time in my life, I used to think I was a victim because. I thought, why is this happening to me? Why don't I have, you know, a nuclear family? Why don't I have 
the same amount of money other people have or or why don't I have cousins why don't I have friends etc etc yeah. I had a very victim mindset of why mm-hmm. things happen to me and and recently in the last few years I have realized that those are the very things that made me strong and without those things I don't know who I'd be and I'm a survivor so it's almost like changing that victim mindset to survivor so instead of complaining about what's happening to you you start looking at things and thinking oh this has happened why has this happened what is this trying to teach me how can I learn and move on like that's that's how I've been training my mind so I guess that's what I've learned from myself um I've learned that I'm enough I'm definitely enough um there is nobody else like you whether it's a look perspective whether it's an emotional perspective or the experiences that you have in life you are absolutely unique like God has made all of us very very different and Mm -hmm that's your superpower I know this has been said so many times but it really is your superpower and I feel like growing up very insecure I have learned to love myself over the years and really overcome each insecurity to figure out that oh if I just accept me finally that's when the world will accept me do you know what I mean there's this this is constant like wanting to be validated by others but you just have to validate yourself and I think you have the power to do that. So that's what I've learned about myself. Um, you know what? There's never enough times you can say these things, though, because we need reminders almost every day. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You go have a good cry if you need to. But um, no, I think, yeah, like loads of, obviously there's loads of people who um, who talk about resilience in this way and, they get quite a lot of hate because it's like, oh, but it's so surface level. It's like, yeah, it is surface level. But sometimes our brain just needs to be told these things and reminded. And that's it. That's it. I'll actually, yes, based on that, I wanted to say one more thing. And that Mm. is the whole resilience thing. You, resilience is the most important thing because there may be people that, and I think sometimes it might be people that are closer to you that you see yourself through so if say your friends or your family or people close to you define you in a certain way that's not necessarily true and Mm. I I remember like throughout my the years of growing up I would definitely see myself through the people close to me and and I I wouldn't like myself necessarily um Mm. you get the power to decide who you are and 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 nobody else is coming to save you. Nobody else is coming to help you. Like mm. you said, the universe doesn't owe you. You have to make that step. You have to be like, I am this. I am enough. I want to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Tomorrow I'm going to take this step or today I'm going to take this first step because I deserve it. Because why not? You have that mindset and suddenly you're moving forward. And I think before what I used to do was oh, how do I do this thing? Oh, why isn't so-and-so helping me? Why don't I get help? You know, why? You start asking why you're not being helped. Nobody is coming to help you. Nobody is coming to tell you that you're good enough or that you're valid. Nobody's going to do that. You have to do it. Once you do it, the world's going to be like, oh, wow, do you you know that girl? She's she's doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That's where the transition happens, I think. I think that's really important. 
Yeah, yeah, because also people could validate you for like a second, but if you get too comfortable with other people validating you, yeah. then when they stop, you no longer have anything to stand on because you have not chosen to validate yourself first. So I, I completely agree. Like, yeah, and, and also people, there will always be people who will wish you well as well, but, you know, you can't oh, yeah. really rely on them, like yeah, completely no. lean on them, right? Yeah, I mean, I think having a having a support system of like, friends and family and people that really are rooting for you and really support you and you know what I am lucky I am privileged to have that like I do have I've, I've built you know a circle of people that I can trust and people who want to see me do well and that is amazing because that's like wow that's a cherry on top and it's just and it does push you to go even further so as in you don't need it it's like of course it's a cherry on top and it's great but like you've covered that part yourself and you're doing it every day but also can I just say it's also very okay to like cry for like five days before you start doing that <laughs> oh absolutely I 100% agree cry all you like I mean yeah I, I cry a lot I cry. I'm, a, I'm a crier <laughs> not a sign of weakness I was crying a little bit during this episode I didn't tell you <laughs> are you really no don't know you are. I got emotional during one part but yeah anyways if someone came up to you, and I'm sure people do, um, just someone who's, you know, looking to get into the creative arts, to get into acting, um, dancing, and all the other stuff you do as well, what would you say to them? Like, what advice would you give someone who is looking up to you? So a lot of people, I mean, a few people have come up to me and said this very thing. And mm. and I, I, I think the advice I give to them is, what do you want to do? So I ask the question, what do you really want to do? Um, mm. Because I, I'll tell you one thing, a lot of the uh, people that have come up to me, they say they, they want to be in the creative industry and they want to do it full time, but they're not sure what exactly they want to do. Maybe it's that they want to do modeling, dancing, acting uh, and singing, like the, the, everything together. But I always sort of ask them, be very specific with what you want to do then I would consider sort of investing in classes. I think classes mm -hmm. are the best way to learn about the specific craft. So for example, if you want to be a professional dancer, it's a very different it's a very different job to being an actor. See, the thing with Bollywood is that there are actors who are dancers and dancers who are actors. In the UK yeah. industry or in British film industry or in Hollywood, they don't the actors don't dance in their yeah. film. So yeah. it, it's very different professions. So if you mm. want to be an actor, make sure you, you learn the craft, learn the craft and see if you like it. See if you really are in love with the craft because being an actor, like I mentioned, the long sale cycle, there is a lot of patience needed. You're not going to be a star if you're an actor. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't, actor equals star does not happen. If you want to be a star, then fine. But I, I can't advise on that because I'm not a star. So I don't know. Um, if you want to obviously be a professional dancer, take professional dance classes and, you know, get yourself into a company and get yourself an agent. So these are the kinds of advice that I give to, to these girls. Then mm. I'm presented with um, the limitations that they have. It, it may be parental consent. It may be financial stability. It may be not having, not having uh, enough confidence in themselves. Yeah. So with, with the financial stability and parental consent, this is work that you have to put in. This is, you know, you have to figure it out. You have to put it on paper. What exactly are you paying for in your life? Literally, like, to the, to the nearest pound, like, how much do you shop in Tesco's? 
you know how much do you go out drinking or, or how much do you spend on meeting your friends and do you have to pay rent do you pay bills how much is that then figure out how much money minimum do I need to make to survive you know it can be done you just need to make that step happen with parental mm. consent I mean it's a personal thing I think you you've just got to <laughs> battle your parents <laughs> and make them see that you're you can do it like it, it it's very it's very hard in the beginning especially with South Asian parents I feel because they might not understand that being a creative is also a career option um I had to face that but there is a way around it you've just got to be persistent and then the third thing is like having that self-confidence so a lot of girls have asked me do you think I could make it do you think I have something in me I I am not somebody who can answer that because I am not the one employing anybody because I'm just working in the industry yeah what I can say is that once you become confident in yourself once you decide and it's literally a thought saying I want to do this I am good enough to do this I am going to do this like it, it's it's that mindset and I mm. think again it's it's about not asking somebody else to validate you but you need to validate yourself and there's a lot of homework in your brain that that needs to happen for that I know how hard it is because I've been through it I have had to yeah. train myself to think a certain way and it's, mm. it's broken me a lot but it has also built me to 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 be resilient to be strong and to if somebody you know says something bad about my appearance or the fact that my eyebrows are not leveled you know I've had the worst criticism set to my face <laughs> yeah you don't care about it because you're like cool that's that's your thing that's fine you know I'm gonna do me people yeah. always assume or judge you've got to keep going so I don't know if this advice helps but it's not airy-fairy it's based from experience and it's really just you know I'm not gonna sugarcoat it it's it's literally like go do it just do it you can do it if you want to you have to decide you have the power wow that's so powerful Oh my god! I don't know. So I'm getting like really emotional, like talking about this. I'm like, I'm just like trying to, you know, take it all out and be like, come on, come on, girls, like believe in yourself. But what yeah, is, yeah. So, you know, the um, parental thing. I would just say one thing to that is that often um, a lot of parents they kind of disguise their own like insecurities, maybe, or their own beliefs by saying like, oh, but you know, this, this, that, the other about the industry, or like, it's not safe, and you're a girl. Okay. Yeah. Um, or they'll be like, you know, you're not going to be successful, there's no money in it. But the moment you start to see a little bit of success, or to like book those really cool projects, or like start making a little bit of money from it, mm. suddenly, they're all on board. Oh I don't my know. God. This... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a South Asian parent thing. Girl, my dad's like, oh, Beta, you are on YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. yeah, okay, cool. That's great. <laughs> you know, and it's it's such a nice, like, it's such a wonderful moment when when your parent says that and you're like, wow, like, you're acknowledging me. This is this is insane. This never yeah. happened before. So it can happen. Um, and I think you've got, you've hit the nail on the head. It is like, you go through this, like, period of, like, I will prove it to you, blah, blah, blah. And then you go and do something and get some recognition from outside. And this is when other, other people's validations really do count because your parents mm. want to listen to them than you. Um, and, uh, and then they're like, oh, okay, you are doing very well. Well done. I keep going. You know, so, it's, um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's the thing with parental consent. It's, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. <laughs> okay.
Okay, last question then. Nisha, what do you have strong game in? And what could you have stronger game in? Being an empath, being empathetic, Mm. I would say is one of my strong games or one of my strengths. Being an empath and, um, and trusting your instincts. So those two things kind of go for me like hand in hand. I think that's my strength. The fact that you can understand somebody else who's talking to you, like really what they're saying is is a power because I think a lot of people put hard fronts on Mm -hmm. and when you don't understand the the other person, it's life becomes very difficult. And once you realize what is this person's, what what is this person really saying to me and why are they being arrogant or ignorant? Or, you know, like these labels we put on people and you understand the, the layer underneath it. And I think that is, is it's magical in itself. And then you have, I think you start to understand life in a different way once you once you, once you tap into that sort of strength. Um, mm. And the same with instinct as well. In this career, there is no ladder of success. So there is no do this, do that, do this, do this, shoot, shoot with that person, that person. There is no uh, guidelines. It's very different for literally every single person, which is why it's so difficult, I think. Because uh, in a nine to five job, you have, you know, uh, a supervisor, then you have a manager, then you have, sorry, you have an assistant manager, manager, director, and you know the path that it, it's very linear, I, I feel. Do you, would you agree with me? Or yeah, it can be quite linear, like you know what set of exams you need to pass to, to get that job. Whereas in this yeah. career, there is no such thing. So having, trusting your instinct is a very, very powerful thing. Um, because you may, get given projects or offered projects that may not be good for you so not every opportunity is something that may be good for you if that makes sense you you have yeah. to pave your own way so it is said that an actor's greatest strength is the power to say no and mm. if something doesn't sound right to you if a project doesn't sound right or if you know if you're not getting a good feeling from like something you can just be like oh thank you I'm not interested or or um, you know whatever you want to say you don't have to do everything so that's something I'd say is my 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 strength is learning to really listen to my instinct is there anything you think you could be stronger in yeah like lots of things <laughs> <laughs> we don't have all day Nisha give us I one know, or two I'm very, I'm <laughs> um, stuff that I'm, I'm training myself on which is uh uh procrastination is a big thing it happens it just happens to the best of us so I think I'm working on that um wow I have so many and I can't think of anything right now what the hell I think I want to work on trusting people um Mm. I think growing up I've been very uh not sheltered that's not the word very cynical cynical you know when you put a barrier up yeah that's it when you I have I've built many barriers and boundaries and Mm. even though those boundaries have helped me and have provided safety for my mental health I also feel like I I have made a lot of boundaries where sometimes it, it can kind of it might not be great for some people. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is that I wanna I wanna allow myself to trust a little bit more and take more risks. Love that. Well, thank you so much, Nisha, for coming on. Oh, How do you God, feel? You. <laughs> I feel good. I feel like I've you've allowed this. It's been like therapy, you know. Like I feel like I've just released so much. Like thank you for allowing you to do that. And anybody <laughs> listening, I thank you so much for listening in on this this far um 
because I go on so many tangents. Um, but I really, <laughs> I, I do hope that this has helped anybody listening and wanting to sort of do have a career in the creative industry full time. Yeah, I, yeah, this this has been great. I feel great. Oh yay! Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.